0: Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is your host, Michael Unterberg, on the JU Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we keep you connected to things going on in Israel. I am here, as always, which officially we're allowed to say, with my co-host, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? Going great, Mike. Um, And today we're sort of starting in a new direction in the podcast, bringing you ideas and what's going on, thoughts, perspectives on Israeli culture that we feel that obviously uh, on college campuses you may be focused on the conflict, but we also want you to have a richer, deeper connection to life in Israel. So I'll allow
1: Alan to introduce our guest for this week's episode. Um, The guest is actually an old good friend of mine that we went back into the Army together, Um, and maybe we'll have time to hear a little bit of those stories later, Uh, Stuart Schnee. Um, who is a in my in my mind? If I had to, it had to sum up Stu, it is he is the quintessential activist. Um, he's a real uh, doer in life, and particularly one of the things he does. He has his own um, company. He's a PR uh, company for really uh, getting people to do what the Jewish people are known for: the people of the book to. Um, to really get uh, good books out there for people to, to read and, and engage with. And we thought it would be a good week for, for Stu to come on the show because um, this week is Shavuot Sefer in Israel, or Book Week, which is a, a pretty big Chagigah, a pretty big holiday in Israel. Um, I remember it from uh, uh, ever since I've been here, that it's a, a big festival in June, um, and we thought maybe it was a good way into learning a little bit a different side of Israel than just the hardcore politics that we usually talk about or big-picture Zionism or the things we mull around in our heads, um, that this may be a, a, kind of a, a different perspective on Israel for you.
2: Uh, so, Stu, how are you doing? Good. I'm happy to be here. And um, it's true, I have a PR office, and I focus a lot on books, authors, publishers, and Shavuot Sefer is a pretty important week. It's actually in many ways a month in Israel now, like everything commercial, mm-hmm. um, because it's the time when more books are sold in Israel than any other time of the year, the month, June, whereas like in North America, fall is the biggest season. Um, so here, um, it's really uh, the whole month of June. Most bookstores have uh, pretty big, it's not really stores, it's the publishers and the the um, the big chains, which is Stametsky and Somatosferim, they have pretty significant discounts, and, and it's spread. But what's interesting, I think, is um, not only the here and now, but I, looked, I did a little research into Shavua Sefer because we take it.
0: What is it exactly? If you've never been here during Shavua Sefer, you don't really know
2: what it is. Right. So just like if you were visiting Israel right now and you were to walk into one of the three big cities, which would be Haifa. Well, actually, Haifa is a little bit different. You might see the same things, but for those of us in publishing, we know that Haifa is the most, it's sponsored mostly by the actual book chains, whereas other cities it's sponsored by the, you know the government pays a lot of money towards it. Um, what you would see um, is um, rows and rows of booths set up with Tons of books, not just a few, but tons, in, in like public areas. Yeah, yeah. It's always going to be in a big park or a plaza or something, um, and um, the big cities. Really, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem are the biggest ones. Um, there are there are other cities that have them, and um, although this year that was a big controversy because the. Uh, the Ministry of Culture cut its budget of 150,000 shekels. Excuse me, 150,000, 150 million shekels. And this is the first year since 1999 that it's not going to be in what we in, here in Israel we call periphery, which is like you know, um, you go to a small city and you go to a small city in Israel and you see, you know, at some local school gym or something or out in the schoolyard they'll have a small fair. Someone who may be, you know the local government might be putting money towards that, but. What you'll see at the, the typical book fair, it's in the evening, it starts usually as the sun's going down, um, people come out in big, big numbers, and all of the serious publishing houses, like Yedio da Hurnot, um, you know, you name it, they're there, but also um, the more academic ones, like, you know, uh, Shazar and Bialik, and, uh, you know... Eh, You know, it is a Jewish country, so books are pretty important here, and there's a lot of research institutes, et cetera, et cetera. So, anybody who could afford to have a booth and knows that financially it'll be worth it, they'll they'll get one. What happens at these booths is you usually have, you know, kids, uh, college kids, whatever, hired, and there's like one or two people from the main office, they are sent. And then a big thing is, especially with kids' authors, is they'll have authors come and sign books. You know so there 's sort of and in certain places that, that has like been a, a long standing tradition, especially with children 's authors it 's like get to know your get to know your audience and it 's very sweet, you know especially in today 's world where everything's like online and you know there 's no personal connection what 's interesting is that this 's been going on for a very long time it 's almost um, it 's almost a hundred years. years it 's actually one hundred and one years it's started yeah nobody most people don 't know these things. I figured it was some modern marketing thing. I didn't realize it was such an old... You know, it is that, but it's a lot more. But, you see, I think the thing is, that's the glory of capitalism. It can be two things at once, you know. Um, It was started, though, really... I mean, it was always commercial. You know, it really was. It was done by people who were... By the way, I
0: think if we're going to write a book that's a biography of Alan Goldman, we could name it The Glory of Capitalism, because...
2: Well, of course. Yeah, of course, because he is that type, yeah. Yeah. so it started in 1926, it was on the first day of Cholomot Pesach, so that's like, everybody made their Seder, they had first day of Chag, and then the second day, which is, you know, when people can go out and spend money and travel and this and that, so it happened in Tel Aviv, and it was called Yom HaSefer HaIvri, because it was one day, and it was on Sderot Rothschild, which is still there, wow. and... Long, you know, so, you know, I read some of the newspapers, I looked it up. I mean, just think about
0: it in terms of scale. Like today, it's in Kikar Rabin, uh, Rabin Square, and it's this huge, it's, it's so much fun. And like you think about this little one day thing along Rothschild Street. Yes, sure. But it was a,
2: you know what, I, I think, you know, if you, you, if you were talking like on the Richter scale of impact, it could have been it was bigger in 1926 uh-huh. because it was such a big thing. Remember, the Yeshuv, the, the Jewish population here was very small then. And they were all like, you know, you say in Hebrew, meguyasim, like they were all like part of the cause. You know, today, when a suburban couple says to their kids, come on, you know, we're going to the book fair, it's more like, and we're not buying ice cream, and you can each choose two books, you know? Back then, it was like the cause, you know, the Zionist movement. And if you read, and it's really interesting to read, I looked at it. The
0: cause, when you say the cause, do you mean because we want to economically support the growth of book publishing in our country, or the cause of we're building a Zionist culture,
2: or, or, or where we exchange ideas, all the above? all of the above, 100%. And it's, and it's explicit. In other words, it's not my hunch. If you go back and read articles, and I did from the 1920s, um, you see that the way it was written was like, first of all, a tremendous amount of pride. Like, look, we've, you know, in 1926, they were like, look, we've made it. You know, like, if we're doing this, right? So first of all, there was the economic side, like the publishing, um, the manufacturing association, whatever it was called, you know, uh, whatever, you know. And then, there was the sense of pushing pushing Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew language, and well, that,
0: that's part of it. Isn't it Shavuot Sefer Hebrew, like the Hebrew? It's still called that, I think. And the the idea is, if you have a book in economics in Hebrew in the 1920s, like that's crazy. A cook, a cook a cookbook in Hebrew in the 1920s is an amazing national accomplishment.
2: Yeah, and you know, I did a little search here online just to see, like, what are the big, you know, uh, recommended books for this Shavuot Sefer, and like I personally always find it a little bit disappointing when it's like sometimes they have these books from abroad, but they're in Hebrew, so they count, you know? But like, no, no, like I'm not here to judge. Like, People should read, I think it's better to read books than not read books, so I don't really care what you're reading, as long as you're reading. But So it started out like that, and alongside, and I think this is really what they call in Hebrew, pikanti, and you know, it's just an interesting piece of information. They had concerts, and they had what they call a neshef, you know, they had a ball, like a dancing, you know, because that was like, then it meant you were really celebrating, and they and, and they had I think like the police band played or something. It was like they had like the Philharmonic, you know, it was like a really big, big deal. Well, I mean in British the police band Well no, the Jews had police force, I think we you know it was but um and that kept, and that continued until 1958. Actually, it was, um, it was. They had similar events. It wasn't official, so it was all like, you know, sort of in the same genre around the
0: country. It feels like when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, we had we had block parties where we would close off our block and everybody would sort of potluck food, and we'd have you'd hire like a carnival thing. Like it's very, it's a block in a city in Brook, in you know, in one street in Brooklyn. But so it would be small scale, but everybody would come, and it was so exciting.
2: So I think in many ways that's what it was like here. Like I lived here as a kid in the 70s in Jerusalem, in Motzei Shabbat, on Saturday night, you know, it was like the whole city went out to King George Street. There was like three ice cream places, and it was like, and I remember being an American kid, like, it was just astounding to me, like, this, like, idea of this, like, public you know, biyachad, you know, like everybody's together. Now, it's just the country's too big for that, I think, you know, some people go to the mall, some people stay at home and watch, whatever. So, you know, people eat out a lot now, and, you know, it's like a different, it's a different vibe. But, in 1959, in May, which was the 10th anniversary of the State of Israel. Actually, it was 58, excuse me. In 58, they had a special Sefer um as part of the 10th anniversary of Israel. So there was like this Vad. You know, they, they did this even for the 50th anniversary. When they have like a big, you know, they have a committee, and it's like, you know, we are now signifying, you know, um, doing uh, anniversary celebrations for Israel. And one of the things they did was they like established that the book um, week should be a big part of it because it was like a year of celebrations, right?
1: So is, it, is there any connection to Shavuot, the Hadei Shavuot, where we get the Sefer Torah?
2: Shavuot, Shavuot, I guess, maybe the word. No, thinking,
1: oh. you know people, the book, the, our book is the Torah, and it's in June, which usually is it was, around. It, it,
2: uh, so that's a good word, but I, it, start, <laughs> it started in May. So if you, and it was during Cholomod Pesach, so I mean, yeah, I guess it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are people who say that Pesach to Shavuot is one long chalamoed. So I guess you could learn it up that way if you really want to be. But I, I think really what this was really was a Zionist endeavor, uh, endeavor. But it says, and if you read, you know, these articles, um, it's I love that, you know, the sort of quaint, you know, sort of very, bum, very very highfalutin Hebrew, you know. And it's all, it's just written with so many assumptions, you know. It's like we're all in this together, to, you know. And, um, um, they write there about, you know, as is befitting the Am HaSefer, you know, the people of the book, which in Hebrew it's really the nation of the book. It's a little bit larger sounding. Um, so they were like seeing this book fair.
0: Isn't that funny, by the way, as an aside, that in English, whenever it's Am Yisrael, we always translate it as the people of Israel and not the Jewish nation. I don't know what's up with that.
1: Don't we usually translate Goya's nation? Well, they
0: both ultimately mean nation, right? They don't mean... Anyway, but that's just a weird... Problem we have in English, sometimes I think admitting that we're a nation.
2: It'd be interesting to see how they say it in other languages too. Yeah. But um, um, so it's moved. It's moved locations numerous times. Actually, there was a time in uh, like when I first came to Israel, it was you know the Flash Cube building next to what used to be the Plaza Hotel. Uh, oh. Yeah, that was where it was. And you know when I when I first came to Israel, this was like you know it was just huge. And it, when did you come to Israel? I came in the eighties, but like um, you know there was just a lot less entertainment things here, and the TV really wasn't such a great thing here, it was like and it was like only a few hours a night, it was black and white like who wanted to even see it, it's like thanks but no thanks so like a book fair was like in
0: the 80s you didn't want to watch all all in the family reruns and Israeli, yeah Alf yeah
2: (laughs) no the short answer would be no, I did not want (laughs) I did not want to watch those things, so going to and I was always a book person, you know so like going to these book fairs was just amazing, and it's all right there you know what I mean, now um um, they've moved numerous times like in Jerusalem for example if you know Jerusalem they moved for a long time to what's called Kikar Safra it was like, about where the uh, it city hall then no, then it went to Liberty Bell Park and then during you know it's like everything in this country security has an impact so there was a time when they were like worried about where like people weren't coming out so I think they moved to Liberty Bell Park because there's more like entrances that they could guard or something same thing in Tel Aviv by the way it was for a long time in Rabin Square which was called Kikar Malchai Israel and then they moved it to and Yeshua, and they, it's moved around but it's the same Pharaoh you know um yeah, so it,
0: I don't know that the moving around feel do you feel a different impact when you go see it in a different place? It's the same feeling of moving through booths so many oh, different people cool. It's fun people watching and then you go to the booths and you schmooze with the people about the different books And you're just so interesting to see what's been published.
2: Yeah for sure And, and if you especially when, when it first started out, I think, you know I remember knowing what books I wanted to see and get and like because you know I didn't work in publishing so much then so I actually had to buy every book I read and you know, you're like, okay, you're like, this is it. Let's get these books, you know, and um, so it's great and you just walk around and I would sometimes go more than one day because it's just like there's just too much to look and see and whatever. It's like by the end, you're just wiped out. Like, I don't want to see another book. But next day, you come back and you're like, you know, you're like looking for more. Um, So this year, as I mentioned, it's the first time in 18 years that they're not the government's not paying subsidizing in the periphery. Now, I didn't, you know, go and ask the uh, culture minister, Miri Regev, why they did that. Knowing who she is and the fact that she comes from the periphery leads me to believe that there's other, re- there's other reasons uh, that are probably worth considering. Like, I don't think she came in and was like, who cares about people in the periphery? Okay. So by
0: periphery, what you mean is not the Jerusalem-Tel Aviv strip no. down the middle. You mean the north and the south of Israel, like the Negev and the Galilee?
2: Exactly. Here in Beit Shemesh, for example, you know, that kind of thing. So um, they cut the budget, but I think part of it is because... Reading between the lines of an article that I read was... They you
0: can conjecture. Alan and I talk, do this podcast every week, and we have no idea
2: what we're talking we're, about.
1: We're, te- we're teachers. We just make yeah, we get to know. just
2: plop all silliness all the time. People that's worst, our- You're teachers, and you're like doing media, so it's like the worst of oh. the both. But people like me, we try to stick to that. I understand.
0: I understand. We're asking you to lower yourself to our level.
2: In this... in this Straight, right? right? In this, in this day and age of fake news, like, I don't want to cooperate with that. But but I, what I read between the lines was it was a little bit like, you know, with all due respect, like, I don't need to subsidize Stametsky and Sumatas Farim getting to, like, Sderot. That was the vibe I got from it. was like it's 150 million shekels to help, like, the big, you know, chain stores make more money. That was the You know, I don't know if it's true. I think if you go back to the roots of, of this ho- holiday, really, you know. Maybe it's worth it anyway. If you're trying to promote reading and you're trying to promote books, then you may be. But if you're the minister of culture and you don't have – you have budgets and you have to – put you know, if I put money here, I can't put money there. Maybe it is worth cutting. I don't know what the –
0: Look, it's another issue because you're not just promoting books. You're also promoting the periphery. In other words, like, okay, so Steyroth is not necessarily the world's largest city, but, but Beersheba is a pretty big, important city. And if that's not getting a national budget for, for book week – That says something about Israeli culture and about the place of Beersheba in Israeli life.
1: And also, it's a bit short-sighted because it also says about who's going to want to move down there. Because when you think about where you want to live, you want places that are invested in and have things like cultural. So... You know, especially me, you know, some kid from his memory. Oh, I remember when my family we used to go to book week. Oh, you don't have a book week here? It's a little tinky thing. I, I, you know, I don't want it that for my kids. I just, like, I,
0: not for nothing. We, we would, that. I think the goal should be that we no longer refer to anywhere out of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv as the periphery. Like, that's just not a healthy national use of language that we that we do that. And so this decision, and again, I, I, I assume you're right. I always assume that people are making decisions for good reasons. But you know there are clearly also going to be downsides to that.
2: Well, I mean, I I personally think, and I, I actually at one point wanted to come up with this. Um, I, I believe that books are so important, especially Jewish books. That and people complain, you know, oh, Jewish books aren't that good. Um, you know, especially in, in the more religious uh, world. So I feel that you know people subsidize a lot of things, like birthright, for example. And I would like to see heavy subsidies for Jewish books because. You, you know, publishers like Feldheim, Art Scrolls, you name Jewish publishers, especially in the Orthodox world, it's not the most lucrative uh, business. And the fact that they stay in it a lot of times is just because of, like, dedication to the cause, and it's like a family business, that even though people can't believe it. It's the same Feldheim family running Feldheim since 1939. You know, they escaped Vienna, and they're still going. But if you want there to be Jewish books, then you have to ensure that there's going to be Jewish books.
1: Can you just define for us what you mean by Jewish books? Well, the way I
2: define Jewish books yeah. is I define Jewish books as things that are written consciously Jewish. In other words, if a Jewish person wrote a book and it said the word bagel in it, I'm not so sure. And I know, like, let's say the Jewish Book Council in New York, who I love and adore and have a lot of respect for, their definition is much broader. And I actually welcome that. I think that's good because their their goal is to reach – they're actually – they see themselves as sort of a Jewish outreach organization also, Jewish Book Council. For Jewish literacy. Um, Jewish affiliation maybe and for sure Jewish literacy and the, the, the people who are running it they have some great people there um, who are just cutting edge creative I mean some of the ideas that they come up with are just like, like why didn't I think of that and they're doing events that these it's like this is no longer your parents Jewish book council you know um, and, and you know Jews you need to open up the tent in a lot of different ways to get Jews to affiliate maybe that's not the way you want to educate your kids but they're not claiming to you know educate their kids this way
1: Give us some practical concrete what you mean by Jewish books, what they mean by Jewish books. Can I
0: ask a weird question? I don't want to change the subject, but maybe this is on the same subject. Like I find myself recently really uh, – to me, when you're talking about a Jewish book, to me there's a difference between reading a book and learning a book. And what I'm finding is I'm picking up Yediot Acheronot books, which is uh, you know the major newspaper here, or one of the big newspapers here in Israel, and I'm picking up books from Yediot Acheronot Publishing that I'm learning. I'm, I'm studying the Bible. I'm studying Jewish philosophy from really a, a, you know what I don't think of as a source of Jewish heritage. I think of it as a journalistic organ. So how did that – yeah, how does that happen?
2: Um, well – So I don't. I think it's dangerous or unhelpful to just like have a closed definition. But I think, I think you know they. What was it? uh, Supreme Court Justice Warren was talking about something, and he said, you know, I don't know how to define it, but when I see it, I know it. And so for me, um, let's start from the easiest. You know, things that are written.
0: He wasn't talking about anything as beautiful as. Jewish books, I don't think. He's talking with different kind of books, I think.
2: or movies. um, But I would say things that are specifically based on the Torah, or all of the commentaries of the Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, all the commentators from all generations that's easy that's now massive. that's, that's massive. okay and that's what people a lot of people in my business would say that's sfarim sfarim you know those are jewish books and that's like an cinch that's easy it's funny but
0: colloquially that, that that's how we say it like oh that's a fair to me doesn't mean it means it means it's torah related as opposed right. to judaism or jewish history or heritage related necessarily
2: right so it's a shorthand way of just like okay so now we've just like cut out not cut out, but we those are, are they're in, they for like, sure I made it in. They're in like Flynn. Now, what so what makes a Jewish book? So um, I would say, if you want to jump all the way out to like the broadest definition, because this will help us, the farthest away definition could be. I don't first of all think it has to be written by a Jew, by the way, but I think a lot of people do think that. I'm against that idea, but. Um, a Jew, you know what they call like a Jewish um, sensitivity, a Jewish sense. Like, so Woody Allen would be the worst, in my opinion, mm-hmm. caricature stereotype of that. I personally am very against that. Just like a lot of African Americans are not thrilled with the way African Americans up until recently, and even now, are portrayed in popular media. I think the way Jews are portrayed in popular media, in North America at least, is simply outrageous, especially because it's always Jews who are like doing it. It's usually like the lower their knowledge of Judaism, the more minimal, the worse the caricature is. And so it's a shame. So the fact that someone wrote a book about someone who's like, you know, um, anxious, sort of, uh, you know, like... There's a lot of different lines, you know. Things. Remember that show? There was a show, a TV show, a long time ago called Thirty Something, and like nobody was definably anything. But the one person who was Kiilu, and you know, wink, wink, Jewish, was the guy who was always like, you know, having you neurotic, know, esoteric questions of like, oh, what am I doing? And so, like, I don't, you know, I don't really see that as a Jewish book. But. I mean, to me, the yeah. questions
0: are, in in America, the questions are always like Bernard Malamud or Philip Roth. You know, are they writers who are Jewish or Jewish writers?
2: So I always try to just cut to the, you know, like I, I, um, so I, I think that's like, is there anything of Jewish value in it? Even it doesn't have to be pro. You know, it could be like I don't think everybody has to be outwriting like you know constant nonstop beating the drums like making Jews look great. It could also just be fiction, a, a Jewish story, a Jewish reflection on something. You know, a young girl grows up. Okay, so now I'm gonna try. What about Israel politics? Okay, so I think that there's people – I think, look, it's very easy. For me, it's easy because I would say, you know, we we kind of – I mean, maybe the borders have expanded over the years. But, like, you know, we kind of know that there's what what you might call – recognizing uh, the sovereignty of the Jewish people in the state of Israel whether you're left wing or right wing we could you know argue as long as you're in that tent and then there's people like Elon Pape or others who write history where they basically they either lie or they, they have certain you assumptions say like Israel, like a, a zionist book like uh, uh, Herzl's Jewish state right that's
1: Jewish book to
2: you yeah i might not agree with it no, but it no, no, doesn't I matter. Totally and by the way Elon Pape i mean if you can show me a historian who's like anti-zionist but bases his or her footnotes and everything on legitimate sources. I might not like it, but I guess it's in like, you know. So I think it's a book who, that deals with something Jewish, but it could be Jewish food, it could be Jewish music, it could be Jewish holidays, and it's it could be just a Jewish Jewish life, you know. And I and I personally am not one to like I'm not so into this sort of like you're in and you're out because I even though I I could see where that is satisfying and also sometimes necessary. Like if you have a budget and you don't want to put too much money, but like in general, it doesn't usually lead to anything positive. Like so, now we're going to sit around and argue about which books. Like you know, my it's
0: a fun Talmudic argument, but it doesn't really make Jew- Jewish life or Israeli life any better.
2: Right. You know, and I and I yeah exactly. So, so basically, if, if I can get at what you're
1: saying here, because a, a Jewish book would be something that deals with. Uh, Jewish life in any kind of perspective, in any right, meaningful way, which would be cultural, political, historical, religious, like all the different different categories. So
0: now that we've decided that answering Alan's question isn't important or helpful, I want to go back to my Yedidio <laughs> no question, which is, why are they, I, I think they're really publishing Torah
2: books. Well, well I, I'll tell you, I mean, I've had the, I, to me it's a schut to work with Yedidio Nakhurno. I mean, they're really leaders here in Israel. The
0: like at, like uh, how do you say that
2: in English. Uh, yeah, it, was a, it's a, it was a great pleasure and an honor to work with them. I, I worked on a big uh, book launch in the fall with them recently, and through that got to meet people that usually you just read about in the paper. I mean, you know, you could live your whole life and not know who these people are, but if you work in publishing, these are the people. And so, some of the go
0: ahead, geek out, drop names.
2: Um, well, you know, if I leave, if I say one name, I'm going to leave out uh, another name. But like, you know, people like uh, Ruthie Benari, who is like. I think her business card says something like project manager there, or something which is like a joke because like the woman is, these are people who are like feeling their way through what is like not popular now, but what should be popular soon. Right. Okay. Because the book Remember, you know, people say books are like babies. It takes nine months to get them out, but that's after the book's done right. and ready. So books can be, I mean, I work on books all the time that I've been working on for two, three years with the author until they finally come out. So like, you know, Ruti, who doesn't define herself as an Orthodox Jew, let's say, but she's passionate about putting out books. Like she said to me straight out, she's like, "We have a problem putting out books about, let's say, the weekly Torah portion." So, my kids, what's the problem? Challenge? Well, well book people want a book to be to sell as many copies as possible. That's where capitalism comes in because if it doesn't have any, you know, validity, it won't sell. So, thing is, is she was saying to me like, "Well, kids who are in Orthodox schools." okay they learn a lot of the parsha by age what let's say whatever 4 or 5 they know a lot of these things a lot of my ki- kids that she's talking about her kids like you know like in more secular schools they may not learn they do learn a lot of that stuff but they learn it later so now how do you make a book that a 4 year old wants to read with the mom and dad and and maybe an 8 year old who's learning the same thing so you know cartoons illustrations everything's different it's all age sensitive so these people are like Really I think very creative in their efforts and also she was telling me how like you got to get the right editor for a book Because like for example, they'll sometimes get a rabbi a scholar a Torah scholar a to write a book about something that is really important But it needs you know, we all slip into jargon sometimes So like having an editor who's actually not coming from their perspective will be like well I don't understand this sentence you think everybody understands what you're saying, but they don't But why does Ruti want to publish from you dear books about the weekly Torah portion? Okay, so because she's a Jewish-Israeli and she feels that this is our culture. Now, you know, I know some Jews would like to sit and argue, like, well, does she believe God gave the Torah and Mount Sinai and everything? And I'm like, you know, that's for a different discussion. And that's probably very personal. And I did have little talks like that about with, with her. But when it comes to publishing, you know, when you're putting out books, you don't always – so you're looking for things that have validity. And look, we live – especially people who read books and publish books and whatever is like if you believe that there's any validity to having a culture – And what that does for people, it creates things for us to reflect upon. Forget about religion for a second if I can be, you know, so bold and say, okay, maybe I'm not saying, like, the Torah says don't wear, you know, linen and wool. Don't wear shotness, okay? So, like, a lot of people don't know about that or care about that, but they're still Jewish, right? I might be able to explain to them why I think it's, like, so important that you do that. Or we could just skip that argument for now and go look at like all these Jewish books that have all this Jewish wisdom. And so like when you go off into that big lonely world out there of multiculturalism, like wouldn't it be good if Jews were adding to that mix? I mean, I think A, it's good for the world, but forget the world for a second. Tikkun olam is like really overdone. What about just tikkun yourself? Like I want to have a connection to my people. Like how do Jews do things? What do Jews think about certain things? Like... You know, people are running all over the world to understand what Native Americans think about this and that, and that's all great, but what about Native Jews? You know, so I think when you're putting out a book, at it's, it's a contribution to that. And I think what's in- interesting, and I think people who don't read Hebrew don't know this, and people who... There's all a very vibrant, uh, creative culture happening here in Israel that is not happening in other places, and you got you know you hear it in jewish music for example like you know like most traditional jewish music like if you listen to it outside of israel it's usually just repetition of torah verses or something and like the music may be faster or slower or hard rock soft rock but it's the same words and then you have israelis who come along and they're like well it does have some torah verses but it also has their own personal reflections and it's like if you're asking me that's sort of like the great you know the middle ages jewish poets who wrote things i'm not saying it all has the same jewish you know, validity is like Ibn Ezra or something, okay? Stama guy who lives in Tel Aviv and writes. But let's say there's people who really do reflect, you know, and they they have, let's say, Torah or other books of our commentaries and classics informing their writing. So is that not Jewish creativity? It is. The problem is, is unfortunately, and I, really, I mean it... A lot of Jews today just don't know enough to follow that. But if you do speak Hebrew and you can follow what's going on, you go to a serious newspaper like Makori Shon. They have a great book review section. Or Haaretz for, you know, put their politics aside. I mean, when it comes to books, there's a lot of amazing books being written here. Because guess what? When an Israeli who loves history decides to write a book, he or she might write one about Jewish history. And it's not a parochial book. In New York, that would be considered parochial. Like, why aren't you writing about the Civil War? Write about something everybody likes. But an Israeli writes about history, so he or she might be writing about something very specific that happened or whatever. So there's a lot going on here, and I think that you do or Not, and this is, the, this is why I think capitalism is so important, is that there's money to be made. In other words, like, they don't put out books because they think, you know, you should read this book. It's the Torah portion of the week and you really better get serious. It's more like there's obviously people who want this. We better feed this hunger, and we better do it because our comp- comp- competitors are going to do it if we don't. And we better get the best rabbis and women teachers out there so that when the next round of books come out, people buy our books and not those books. And so that, I think, is something that's happening here. that is not, ha- And it doesn't mean that there's not Jewish creativity happening. If you go to Lakewood right. or you go to other places in America, there are Torah books coming out that have great stuff. But it's not being done in the same way. Heck-hef or the same uh, uh, broadness. Do you, do you think that the... Modern cultural Zionist... Uh, well, think, well, it's not always Zionist. I mean, I just think, like, and you see this with the Rizel brothers or other people with music. Like, I don't know if they're thinking I'm going to put up a Zionist song. To me, that's that Zionist. modern.
0: Whether they realize it or not, it's a fulfillment of, let's say, a Chara'am's yeah, picture of what, of what uh, the state would do i uh,
2: Israel not Zionist. Right. I mean it's no, no, far, I, don't I, mean, I don't mean either. I'll tell you why, because well, uh, and it's fine because you work in education, so you have to define it and you have to, you know but like the fact is is most people who are doing these things are not thinking about Zionism. They're just thinking about and that's where I think something like capitalism is cool because it's like they don't have to think about Zionism, they have to think about what are people wanting. Which I think is interesting is some of the biggest best sellers in Israel are these Jewish books. Some of the biggest songs are these quote unquote
1: what, what books are big sellers in Jewish are you talking about? People. Well, the one the
0: Rav Lichtenstein mevakech panacha—they even translated to English. No, 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 not in the film world. It's been translated to English. It's a huge bestseller in Israel.
1: An interview with, uh, really, sort of like. A... I'm hearing lots of uh, commercials for Micha Goodman's new book. So um, yeah, it's, it's, cool. I mean, I'm, I'm not on uh, Kochai, not on the religious radio stations. The regular new Khan Stations,
0: Right, so you know interviewing you know intellectual religious people about life in Israel, or uh, intellectual books about Jewish classic rabbinic sources like Micha Goodman is publishing, are very popular. To me, one of the signs that you know a book is super popular is that it's been translated to English, so they think there's going to be an audience beyond even the Israeli public, although I do agree with Stewart's point that a lack of Hebrew language literacy means... That you're gonna to be to a certain ex- a lot of this stuff's gonna be inaccessible to you, which is tragic. Which is tragic because it's so exciting. It's so vibrant and alive in a way that we really haven't had in such a long time.
1: Yeah. Which really which really goes back to Hill Halkin's article that I think we spoke about on the podcast. But if we haven't I we've been so. if we haven't spoken about, we've been speaking about it a while, which is that the disconnect between diaspora and uh, and Israeli jury, you could say one of the big disconnects is language. Um, is that the certainly it, it goes both ways, but certainly for in the topic here, the diaspora jury that cannot link into real modern Hebrew is missing a lot of what Israel's about.
2: Um, and there, there was actually a big piece on that in I think Commentary Magazine last year. And I think it's really important for us to not um, you know sort of admonish people, but rather to encourage because the right. more Hebrew you learn. Like, you really are going to tune into this. I'm against, even though I live here and I chose to live here, whatever, I, I'm against the whole sort of disparaging diaspora life. But the fact is, is, like it or not, there's a lot happening here that Israeli Jews can partake in what is coming out of the United States. not that they would choose to, because if, if books from the United States come here, it's usually not Jewish books. You know, it's like a bestseller, it's a mystery, it's a cookbook, okay? Israelis read a lot in the original language, but if you want something that's contributing to the Jewish discussion, it's usually going to come out of Israel, it'll often be in Hebrew, so you're missing out. And that's a shame. You know, it's, it's, it's a real shame. So back to the whole Yedioth Svarim and all the other great Israeli publishers. I just
0: want to add one more thing yeah. to your point about not disparaging. To me, it's also not an issue of not disparaging. To me, there's this sense of overwhelming. I see this with my students, and I feel it myself sometimes. Like you say, it's unbelievable. Let's forget books for a second, your point about music. There's unbelievably creative Jewish Israeli music coming out. And for me, it's actually easier to read a book in Hebrew than to listen to Israeli music in Hebrew. I find... Getting the lyrics difficult.
2: Well, is a different gift with language. I'm, I'm, thank God, like you know, I I took honors Spanish and I studied it through university and I was g- fluent in that, and then I like basically threw it out La Ventana, to like get my Hebrew up to snuff. But not everybody's blessed with that. It's true.
0: I think most people. So when we hear, we're, uh, us not language people, as I say in my broken English sentence, us not language people find the, those things. But there's always something you can do. Like, like what I'll do is I'll find songs in online that have the lyrics translated. Sometimes I like, I can
2: just read it off the site or sometimes even YouTube there'll be videos that do in real time Back in the day when movies were a big thing, you know, yeah. and people go to the movies, so they always had Hebrew subtitles because, like, I, I guess they did it because of deaf people or something. So, and it's super, super, super yeah. helpful to learning Hebrew is to read it. So, my, my so thing So there's is, always some cultural next step you can take. You don't have to
0: suddenly become a PhD in Israeli culture. There's always, culture the exactly. there's always some next step. Exactly. There's always something you can do.
2: I'll never forget like the first full Hebrew story I read, and actually it was after I'd gone back to from Israel to the states to finish college. And it was like this Hebrew class that I took to, like, as a desperate effort to keep connected to Hebrew. And they handed out this story. And I remember I was like, I actually could read it. And I understood it. I mean, I had to look up words in dictionary or whatever. But it was, the sense of achievement was tremendous. Now, I still, when I run home to read a book, I don't usually read in Hebrew. I'm still kind of lazy. But I will read in Hebrew. And you know what? Hebrew is different than English. It's a beautiful language. And it's different. And you need to just... So the enemy, I always say this, the enemy of good is excellent. The enemy of getting anything done is, you know, excellent. Perfection
0: is the enemy of the good. Don't worry about being perfect. Just, just find something new
2: to try that you will enjoy. So kids' books are a great way to start. There's lots of ways if you want to learn Hebrew. So I would say I
0: have a friend who read through the Harry Potter books in Hebrew because he knew them really well. So reading them in Hebrew made it a kind of a fun new way to experience... So even though it's not necessarily a Jewish book, but at least it,
2: he, when he finished, he then started picking up other Hebrew books and found it much easier. Right, so when, that's, I always tell people, the way, one of the ways I really picked up a lot of Hebrew was back in the day when the newspapers were still, like, you know, in the, in the morning, what you read was still relevant the whole day. So I would, like, read the Jerusalem Post and know the headlines. And then if you listen to, you know, Kol um, Yisrael every hour and half hour, you know, they basically re- regurgitate those same headlines. So, you know, you have about, like, 12 times or 24 times. I didn't
1: or, watch the news right. right. And, and so by the,
2: the end of the day, like, believe me, I knew what, like, you know, Masao Matan was. And, um, you know, those words, and, and, you know, so I would just, uh, the radio helped a lot. and um, But yeah, so I think if you think about it, Shavuot Sefer in many ways is a tremendous victory because those people back in 1926, if you ever told them that most, I mean, we're talking about tens of thousands of people who go to buy books. They're just going to buy books because of the discount. They're not thinking like, oh, I'm going to celebrate the victory of the Hebrew language. That's not at all what it is. They're, bu- they're going because they have to get their kids books. And that's why June is such a big time for you know, Jewish books. And I wanted to say one uh, other thing. I think that there's a lot of Jewish book sales in America now. Um, like, for example, I know a lot of Jewish book publishers like Feldheim and Art Scroll have big sales in June. Where do you, th- where do you think they got that from? They call it book week. Well, that's for sure. Them. That's 100% the case. And I could do a whole, you know, I believe very strongly that, like, a lot of Jewish media today is influenced by Israel. The head offices are here. The most popular Jewish magazines that are selling in the United States on newsstands in places like Brooklyn are really published by people here. So it's very, very interesting. And um, I mean that kind of thing? Um, I mean, even, look, Ami is more Brooklyn, and, mm. you know, but there's... But there's a lot of the writers are here. Uh, same thing with, again, this is more in the Orthodox media. But not only because look at Times of Israel or Haaretz.com. I, you could talk to them, but a huge percentage of their readers are broad so who's, who's doing And look at Tablet. Which is why they
0: have English, Tablet and
2: Mosaic. Right. And Tablet's really out of New York. I mean, and I think Tablet, I mean, you know, I, I have to be, I have to love all the media because I, so much of my business. <laughs> but I, Tablet is, is personally a favorite. I it's love a, I, I love Tablet, I can say.
0: I miss the Jewish Review of Books, which is out of yeah. Cleveland, which is just a great journal. I really love it.
2: Yeah, it's great. And, what, you know, what Alana Newhouse has done to Tablet is something that I think that, you know, It'll never be the same when she decides finally to, you know, and I hope she doesn't for many, many years. But if she ever retires or goes to do something else, like it was, a it was a time, you know, it's like a a place and time of like creative Jewish writing that is just, and also podcasts and everything that is just so cutting edge and like that's really what it should be. Media should not be regurgitating the same old garbage because like once when I was in college, I remember some shaliach brought a Jewish newspaper with a black magic marker and crossed out every article that had to do with the Holocaust, obituaries or mo- fundraising for Israel, and there was almost nothing in the newspaper. And so it was like if you live in Philadelphia or a suburb of New York and like your Jewish newspaper is basically just that, so where's the creativity? So that's where something like Tablet comes along and is just like, actually, there can be a lot of Jewish creativity coming out of the United States, and it's not all Israel oriented, far from it. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Cause this whole thing of like, if you're not talking about Israel, you're not like, people don't make Aliyah out of guilt. They do it out of Jewish identity. So the more you're, you know, promoting that, that's great. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think there's a lot happening in Jewish publishing and it's exciting. I think a lot of it really is influenced from Israel. Um, you know, when I promote books, that's what I do, you know, professionally, I, I, I do book publicity. And so I, things are very different than they were when I started. Because when I started in the field, it was like, you know, we have like book launches and you have like embargo. You like, you embargo the, the press release until a certain date and all that stuff. Today, you can't do that. And you don't need to because like they say that there's like an Israel launch and an America launch. It's a little bit of like, it's an artificial thing now. The only reason, the only reason there might be a separate launch is because the boat is a little late in getting <laughs> to New York with the bu- books because a lot of the books are published here. But we try our hardest to just, release the books all at once. Because, it's, you know, if I get a press release and a review and an interview in Times of Israel about a book, and it's not in New York now, what have I done? I want people to be able to click on Amazon and go and buy the book. And, of course, go to the independent bookstores and be able to buy it. So my goal is to not have, like, separate... Because there isn't separate media today. There just isn't. And I don't think a lot of people are even thinking about it. Like, people are just like, I read what's interesting. Not like, I read my local paper, and I only read this, and I only... You know what I mean? So, um... Yes, yeah, so it's, it's it's fascinating, exciting stuff. What I think is really cool is how certain things just last. So the Jewish, you know, this idea of Shavuah HaSefer, which yeah, and now they have Shavuah HaSefer HaTorani, right, which is really religious books. Um, which is also a big thing after Pesach here in Israel during uh, the yeshiva vacation. They have um, also you Did
0: that evolved all from the Masada Rav cook sale. That, that that particular publisher.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's like it's spread. So that's a great time. Like if you're going to like, I need to buy a set of like uh, Rambam or whatever. Like the, the the discounts are dramatic. Dramatic. Now I. I would wonder. I think probably they might give some of the big discounts now again. Look, sales are just a big part of publishing, and you know I've I've had clients where they're just like I don't want to discount my books. So we're like, okay, so don't. But like, you're not going to sell them. It's 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 painful, you know. Um, but I think I would encourage everybody. It's hard to say this because I know what it sounds. You know, always want to save money. You know, but like if you want there to be good Jewish media or Jewish books, you you have to buy them because. It's money, or if you're wealthy, or if you're a foundation, I would really encourage you to consider funding books, and which is a big thing now in the Orthodox world. A lot of books, if you look, there's like a sponsor, you know, and um, because just like they did in the Renaissance when people paid for artists, you know, if you want this stuff, you got to pay for it. There's just no way around it. So so
0: wealthy people can be Jewish Medici's in the new in the new Jewish renaissance, which is
2: the modern state of Israel. They are. They are doing this. And I would just say that, you know, you could talk to people who are very involved in Jewish philanthropy. It's it's a kind of unfortunate thing. You know, in certain ways it's pride, but if you go around the United States and look at hospitals and philharmonics and museums, Jewish giving to these places is just dramatic dramatic numbers, you know, and the ratio and the percentages are huge. The problem is, I'm not saying you shouldn't give to, you know, go. You want to give to a museum of Akashah. The problem is, is what about the Jewish causes? So, you know, people are worried about that. Um, But ultimately, and I say this all the time, and I think non-Jewish book people feel the same way, in a way. We feel like we're fighting the good fight for civilization. Because, you know, if you read a book and it's well edited, which is, of course, a key to a good book, that means the ideas are being expressed in a, you know, a coherent way. You might actually think coherently. And if you think coherently, you might be able to make an argument. And you know, if, you, if you can make an argument, you might actually be able to have like, an opinion about something that's not just based on the latest thing you saw on Facebook. And then a lot of the garbage that we see on especially social media, you know, people are so – you, know, you, you guys are very into this whole Hasbro thing. Like, why is it a problem? Why, no, you know? we're not. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So, I, ta- I take that back and stu- edit and re- just review that. But, like, people are like, there's no context. You know, people just get up there and they're like, Israel's doing this and Israel's doing that. And it's like, you're right, there is no context because nobody reads books anymore. So, the thing is,
0: everybody's expressing themselves in tweets sad or sad.
2: <laughs> or, yeah, or, you know, or, or, or great, Which, whichever. So, I, I think that that's a real shame. And, um, you know, the Jewish approach has always been to read and to argue about the books and that's our Talmudic tradition which I think is vital and I think it's a mistake to think that like you know the Talmudic sensitivity will like trickle down into our other books and it's good enough to just read other books I would say no do both learn Talmud learn Gemara learn what it means to analyze words and meanings and to actually have clarity on a text and then have someone else come along and show you how you're completely wrong and then you're both wrong and then you're both right and then like you know and then you have to take lunch break because you're just so exhausted and, yeah, read other books, too, Jewish cookbooks, Jewish travel books, Jewish history, whatever. You know, It's all there. So I'm very pro-books, as you can tell. And uh, <laughs> Well, this is the
0: right week for it. And I'll tell you what, what's interesting to me as, as somebody, if you love Jewish heritage, for various reasons, we don't have a rich heritage in visual arts or sculpture or painting or things like that, which you can explore in so many national cultures. Our national culture, if you want to see
2: our cultural legacy, in books right. it's portable and i guess you could argue that's one of the reasons why we are people of the book is because when they kicked us out of all well, the or wherever what can you take with us except your your education and your torah learning you know and um yeah so uh, sorry no. so no not to be like overly dramatic and, and it's definitely i think in many ways it's a it's, it's simply an amazing thing the fact that we've had this um um portable um People or a portable state for the past few thousand years. By the way, I think it's still you know the state of Israel doesn't like exempt us. I think from Jewish you know um, uh, knowledge, and I think that's a big mistake. And we went through that. I mean, I wasn't around then, but in the beginning of the state, you know, there's the famous story of the Israeli athletes. I think that went to America, where they were young diplomats and they didn't have to, one. Got called up for an aliyah to the Torah, and he didn't know how to say a bracha, and another one didn't know how to make Kiddush, and they started. That's why Israeli diplomats now have to go through. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming most diplomats know this without the course, but, The idea that, like, you know, you need to know certain things to be a Jew, you know, that doesn't mean you have to actually believe. You know, if you don't believe the traditional take on it, okay, that's your issue. That's you, you know. But um, the idea that Jewish knowledge is important is, is...
0: in addition to language literacy, there's also cultural literacy, which Israelis have. The language thing sewed up because they speak Hebrew, but there's still, if you if you're a patriot and you love your people and you love your nation and you love your state, there's still. A value to cultural literacy And I think you're really seeing sort of a renaissance in that in Israel With secular study halls, you know, Bate Midrash And,
2: you know, members of parliament who stand up and give Talmudic discourses and, and that is that that 's really important, and I think, and I say this all the time, and I think you see this in good music and other just even an American thing, the more knowledgeable you are about let 's say history, culture, then you hear a song and it like makes references to things that you actually understand, so culture is a good thing because you 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 know you read all the classics of of the United States, whatever those are i 'm not going to you know and then you like hear a song that you know reflects on that and quotes it. and It's, it's all much more um, makes sense. It's more—I I hate using the word meaningful, but it's like it all makes sense to you. So it's the same thing for someone who grows up speaking Hebrew. By the way, a lot of Arabs who are diplomats here, because we do have them, and judges and newscasters, they have to know a lot about Jewish stuff because to make sense, and actually a lot of Arabs here know a lot about Judaism just by the cultural sort of, you know, givens. You know,
1: ask, I think you just ask a cab driver, and Arab right. cab driver—they know I, I, more than your, your diaspora Jew very often.
2: Unfortunately, but I,
0: I think it has to do with both connectivity. That you know, this is how we connect through things like culture and also authenticity. This is how we know who you who we are. So I think I think we have to wrap up. I could do this for like another three hours, especially since Stuart's like the perfect guest, <laughs> right? It just I basically don't have to move the mic. I finally have. <laughs> um, I told, you. I told you so. You did, I believe, and I believed you so. Uh, uh, maybe I'll I
2: found a new calling. Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: <laughs> that's
2: right. You also have a good radio voice, I think. I was told that when, when I first came in on Aliyah, and they, because I was interviewed on Call Israel for something about like studying here or something, and they were like, "You have a great radio voice," and I was like, "So now what?" They're like, "Too bad, because there's no jobs." I know,
0: but I, I a have a bad radio voice, and b if somebody said I have a good radio voice, they're just telling me I don't have a good
2: television face. So, Ooh. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I'm retroactively <laughs> insulted. <laughs> actually you know this would be a better if you could show my face you know i'm not i'm not embarrassed but like it's all good it's all good so yeah jewish books thank you so much for this opportunity I'm, it's like to talk about this is like talking about you know candy or the grateful dead it's all good so um, yeah i'm very so go and read a jewish book or an israeli book that's the best way you can you can participate it's not that hard you just pick
0: something jewish to read and connect in your own way to jewish book week Chag Shavua Sefer Ivri Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you, Mike. And thank you, really. Thank you a million, Stuart. Really appreciate it. Oh, for sure. A real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye-bye. This has been JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge podcast. Please check out our website, org, for episodes, blog posts, and contact information. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever you use for podcasts. But you knew that, right? Uh, You can follow our Facebook page at the Teacher's Lounge Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at JU Israel Gap. Please keep in touch with us with questions, comments, feedback, and suggestions. And if you know somebody who would enjoy our podcast in general or an episode in particular, we love it when people recommend us. Thank you, guys.